Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. And this is the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre, and tries to find a few answers. Uh, We have a guest with us this week, Caroline. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at him. Helping us delve and uh, uh, search for those answers. He is... Well, you, listener, will or should know him as the co-host of Unloaded Questions right here on the right here on the Longboy Media Network. But we know him as our favorite dungeon master. Oh, guys, come on. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Now, for context, dungeon master in this case does not mean we like to get freaky on the weekends. Well, we do, but in this case, it's playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and uh, yes, we like to get freaky. It just Nick's not involved. We don't. Well, guys, today's the day. Oh. Take out your dice and your leather. Oh boy! It's both. It's both today. <laughs> Um, hi, uh, Nick. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm a uh, longtime listener, first time guest, uh, and uh, I much appreciate the invite. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is very near and dear to my heart, uh, and obviously I will be spending this whole time explaining to you very specific rules. <laughs> you, <laughs> yes, you just like yet. a game, just like any <laughs> game we play. Yeah, let's let's go over Thacko real quick. Oh, and yeah, then... let me let me break out uh, my percentile dice. Perfect. We have lost many an hour with Nick and some other friends playing Dungeons and Dragons, the most popular role playing game in the world. And um, that's why we have him here this week, because we're continuing our four-part series on Satanism and the Satanic Panic with an incisive deep dive into the seamy Satanic underbelly of Dungeons & Dragons. It's true. Uh, I have seduced both Carrie and Sean <laughs> to the dark path of demons and devils. The uh, left-hand path. <laughs> yeah, the left-hand path. Uh, I, they are now going the crooked way. Um, because of their introduction to a game where you mostly do math at each other. Which is very inconvenient for me, because I am terrible at math. (laughs) Yeah, that explains some of the far-off looks in your eyes during some of these longer battles. Yeah. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, and it's probably a pretty small number at this point, it's like, Dungeons & Dragons is almost becoming cool, or at least it's becoming a thing that people love putting in TV shows about the 80s. Oh, absolutely. It's part of nerd culture. It's getting more mainstream. Yeah, exactly. And just like comic books, Star Wars, and, and every other thing. Well, Stranger Things definitely cribbed a lot from Dungeons and Dragons, even the names of certain monsters and stuff, because the kids in the show play it. Well, right, exactly. And I think that's uh, even more launched it into uh, a popular kind of consciousness recently. But back in 1974, Dungeons and Dragons was the... It was the new kid on the scene in, like, nerd hobby gaming. And it came from these guys, Gary Gygax, well, G. Gary Gygax. Is and that a G. Gary Gygax? Yeah, no, he's the triple G. Uh, Nick, Is that his real name? You gotta give it up to the triple G. <laughs> Nick says you gotta give it up to the triple G. That's an order from your dungeon master. Mm-hmm. Triple G. Gyners, Gyvins, and Gyves. <laughs> of course, that... That <laughs> die Guy Fieri. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson created this game in 1974, uh, when they were working for TSR Incorporated, Tactical Studies Rules. Now, Carrie, from everything I know, 
about what you like in games. Uh, doesn't that sound like a fun game company, Tactical Studies Rules? <laughs> no. No, I, I much prefer uh, all my improv acting and uh, doing different accents and such. Uh, yeah. As do I, by the way, but the Tactical Studies Rules have to have to get involved there somewhere along the line. Well, that's why we have Nick here. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I mean, Dungeons & Dragons comes from a war game tradition and is actually the first role-playing game. So all of the improv stuff, all of the like fun character stuff, it's all coming from wargaming originally. So, you know, get ready. Because if you, if you, listen, if you want to play the fun part, you have to play the hard part. Mm-hmm. At least these guys basically said, uh, I want to go from commanding 400 men on a battlefield to I just want to command one little guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's D&D. Yeah, they basically wanted to play Lord of the Rings games, and they didn't have war game mechanics that would let them do that. They were all about, you know, playing out the Napoleonic Wars and stuff at, at army levels. And they wanted, like, to take those same rules and adapt them down to, uh, now now I'm just Frodo, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and D&D is, saying it's Lord of the Rings is really on, on point. Uh, <laughs> these guys weren't really coming up with so many original ideas as they were cribbing from different mythologies or stories that they had read. There's a lot of Conan. There's a lot of uh, Lovecraft in the original D&D stories. Um, and, and, and that persists to this day. I mean, mm-hmm. any, any barbarian art is effectively Conan if it's a human male, right? Mm-hmm. All the good ones, yeah. Conan O'Brien? Uh, yes, also him. He's a barbarian. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and Lovecraft stuff gets more and more explicit as time goes on. There's like you can be you can be bound to Cthulhu. I think as a warlock. Oh, for sure. It's in the uh, basic. I think it's in Advanced D and D. Actually, the Cthulhu warlock is way in there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, first edition and Advanced Dungeons Dragons is a real hodgepodge. There's spaceships in it. There's like. Uh, the idea that you would find like a crashed alien vessel. It's not necessarily fantasy so much as if you were a bunch of nerds that got together to play a game, what might you want to be in that game? Um, It really reads like a bunch of hobbyists who wanted to play something fun more than a finished copy from like a production company. Yeah, that uh, makes a lot of sense. Have you ever held an original box set in your hands? Uh, I have a PDF of an original of the Red Book, but no, I, I don't have a copy of it. Um, when Gygax and Arneson first made... So this uh, original box set, the original Red uh, Core Rulebook, has just three classes in it. And what are classes? Classes are like the kind of uh, adventurer you want to be. Oh yeah, if somebody has no idea what this game is, <laughs> uh, you sit around a table, you have a character sheet that you're, you're, tells you what your character is good at and maybe some stuff that they have stats basically yeah and those stats will tell you what you add to say uh, the role of a 20-sided die that you make to see if you can hit an orc with a sword real good mm-hmm. and uh, there's a dungeon master who uh, uh, takes you know the rest of us through an adventure uh, lays out plans out kind of what the treasure is you're looking for the monster you're trying to kill whatever the quest of the day is and um, you kind of tiptoe through this world they've created and hope that you make it to the end, maybe with a little more treasure and experience under your belt. We did this on Saturday for, I think it was one of our shorter sessions, eight hours? Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a close, it was a tight one. Um, yeah, it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. <laughs> 
And that is uh, trademarked Nick Salisi, <laughs> 2021. And he keeps asking them to use it as a pull quote on the uh, core rule books, but they just won't do Wizards won't do w- it. Wizards, get at me. I'm here for <laughs> you. Just put my big old face right on the box. <laughs> Now, by 1977, Dungeons and Dragons had become a, you know, modest success. People, especially war game nerds who were into fantasy, uh, uh, took took to it pretty quickly. And as an extension, so did uh, a lot of adolescent fantasy fans, especially ones who could kind of grok the complicated rules. Although the rules weren't all that complicated back then. I think using the word grok in this context really exposes you for someone who would have been involved at the time. <laughs> That's true, and I probably learned that word from guys who were in this generation who are on the internet now. <laughs> um, because this was like late boom... Young boomers played this d d Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is, you know, programmer culture. This is really like... Um, this is where you get that image of a group of guys in a basement who don't like talk to a lot of girls. This is where that image comes from mm-hmm. um, and is really seminal to the whole idea of a nerd culture, I think. Uh, that's right. And so it might seem strange. This all seems fairly innocuous as we're talking about it. It might seem strange that this kicked off a wave of panic, um, almost like the one we we talked about last week with satanic ritual abuse at daycare stores, daycare you know the daycare store? You ever yeah, go down there? That's, I mean, generally, that's where I go. <laughs> pick up a pick up a baby or two. <laughs> um, no, at daycares and preschools across the country. There, I, I could understand getting freaked out bec- if you thought that your children were um, being watched by a Satanist child molester. Mm-hmm. But Dungeons and Dragons on its face seems so innocuous and so nerdy, for lack of a better word. It, it's hard to understand how people got so scared about it in the 80s because they did i think that there's a big part of this in the fact that D is the first role-playing game it's introducing the concept that you and your friends would sit down and play a specific character in a game uh like this is before video games there's no idea that you would pretend to be master chief for a couple of hours <laughs> right um, which is, of course, how I play Halo. I get really into the idea of being Master Chief. Yes, you yell at Tara if she calls you Nick. That's exactly right. You're Cortana now. That's what I say. Um, no, so when parents in the 80s are looking through their kids' bedrooms, as all good parents are frequently doing. Yes, reading their journals. Exactly. Uh, and they see this book that has spells, that has demons in it and it has like components for casting curses on other people their first thought is not this is a rule book for uh, a game they're like i guess my kid is into witches now <laughs> this is their book of shadows right exactly i mean they just have no context for this thing to exist so i think that's a big component of why um it, it seems so obvious to us to look at a and D book and be like okay this is a game um, for nerds, by nerds, uh, but it, it definitely didn't read that way at the time. No, yeah, because now you would see a dragon and, like, you know, a damsel chained to a wall or something and a wizard and a fighting man coming into. to... You just go, oh. I'm going to paint this on my van. No, I was going to say, what what virgin lost this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you wouldn't go right to Satanism necessarily. Mm-hmm. Now, the D&D we're going to be talking about, for the whole period of the 80s... Uh, TSR had moved on from that original box set, and in 1977, 279, over the two years, they released the basic set, 
which kind of pared down those uh, original rules and made them a little clearer and put them on a box they could stick in toy stores, basically. Mm -hmm. And then Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which came out as three different rule books over the course of two years. And Advanced D&D expanded the rules for hobbyist gamers who wanted, you know, a little more to sink their teeth into. People like me and Nick. (laughs) And uh, added classes like the Bard, the Illusionist, and the Ranger, who had previously just been in supplements and magazine articles. Um, And then later supplements to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons would add, uh, you know, you could be an assassin, a thief, a druid, a monk, or a paladin, one of Nick's favorites. Uh, I, I know we rolled over this a little bit earlier, but I just want to mention that the original classes were, I believe, Thief, Fighting Man, and... Uh, <laughs> I, I have the three as Fighting Man, that's hyphenated, which yep. I love, Magic User, also yep, hyphenated, yep, yep. and Cleric. Uh, so th- That could be right. Uh, or priest, it might have been. Um, but fighting man, I believe it should be every. every it should still be in the book. Yeah, because now they have a fighter, which it doesn't have the same ridiculousness to yeah, it. Yeah, it doesn't have the the goofy charm that right. fighting man did. I'm a fighting man. <laughs> I'm here to fight your dragon. That's right, and I am a magic user. Uh, and of course, you could be a human, a dwarf, an elf, or a hobbit in that first edition of the game. Oh, a hobbit! Yes, they later. Now you can be a halfling in D anD D because the Tolkien estate actually literally sued uh, TSR to to get the word hobbit out of there. Yeah, they didn't worry about the word orcs though, but maybe that has a, a pre. Maybe it, that predates Tolkien. It does. Although D anD D orcs are really Tolkien-esque orcs. Oh, and D&D elves are really Tolkien-esque elves and dwarves. There's like a whole chunk of D&D lore that you can just, if you have read Lord of the Rings, you don't need to read that part of the book. Yeah, but that makes sense, right? Because it's a fantasy game and fantasy nerds are going to come to play the kind of fantasy they're familiar with and Lord of the Rings is the first one on everybody's mind. Listen, I was very disappointed when I couldn't play a Keebler elf in my first <laughs> D&D game. <laughs> That's what you thought? That's what you thought? Or a, my, a Santa's elf? That was my first thought. I'm going to build some shoes. They build cookies. I mean, they, you know, listen, they're keeblers, they're cobblers, they're little tiny elves. <laughs> they, is that what that is? Yeah. Keebler means cobbler? I it's have, supposed to sound like that? I have to think those are connected ideas. Did you start with, you know, the song? Or did I miss here? You know how that is. Oh, I thought, oh, or, or did you say, you know how it goes? I don't know. I, th- I thought that I there think was, I, <laughs> you know, yeah, you, know you, you know that old song. They're keeblers, they're cobblers, <laughs> but, 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 yep. um, all right. So, so how, how does this turn into Satanism, Sean? That's a great question. All I can tell you is that with the release of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, adolescents and nerds all over the country, um, internationally as well, but especially all over the United States, uh, were pulled into their basements uh, where they could escape into worlds of wonder, um, much more interesting than the drudgery of their day-to-day lives, much like we use... Um, any escapist nonsense for. Oh, absolutely. Um, but media reports started surfacing that suggested that some of this wasn't all just fun and games. And that's where we get to James Dallas Egbert III. Oh, boy. Um, Egbert was a Michigan State University student. He was actually a child prodigy from Dayton, Ohio, originally. He had uh, entered college at 16 years old. And so here he was, a teenage computer science major, struggling with depression, who disappeared on August 15th, 1979. 
He apparently had had lunch with a friend and then uh, gone back to his dorm and no one had seen him since. Uh-huh. A few days later, on August 22nd, Egbert's parents hired William Deere, who was a private eye, who really seems to have thrown himself into this case uh, with everything he had. He was a real nice guy. He, he, he came in with the best intentions <laughs> all the way through this. Uh, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. I read some excerpts. I didn't read the whole book, but I have read some excerpts of the book that William Deere wrote about this case called The Dungeon Master. Sean, do you have some? I would really love to hear them. Only a brief one. Oh, please. <laughs> um, it, the, as you can tell from the title, in his investigations, William Deere found out that uh, James was a, who went by Dallas, by the way. That was the, the name he went by. I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, it's the better of the two. Your last name's Egbert. You gotta Egbert. do something. That's yeah, no offense to any Jims out there. Or Egberts. Or Egberts. Um, that was his last name, guys. <laughs> Still. Um, at some point, Deer found out that Egbert had played Dungeons and Dragons on campus with a few different groups, and uh, he also heard rumors from some students that Dungeons and Dragons players would stage live-action games in the steam tunnels underneath their school. He describes it in the book as they would play a live-action version of D&D. Uh, just for the record, there's no, <laughs> no such thing. I mean, d is a game you play around a table, right? There is LARPing. Live-action role-playing is a thing. Um, but that's usually, you have to come up with your own rule set for that because you can't do, you just can't do all that dice rolling when you're running around steam tunnels. I can't say for certain that no one has ever played a game of D&D and said, then jumped up and gone, you and I are going to pretend to reenact the fight that we just did, uh, with dice on the, the pen and paper. So you're saying you, you've done this. Um, <laughs> Pshaw, Sean. God, no, I'm cool. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. I forgot about your unassailable cool. Come on, let, let's. I I flick my comb out and slick back my hair. Ooh, it's a switchblade. <laughs> no, he's he's getting blood everywhere. It's horrible. <laughs> I thought it was a comb. <laughs> now, Deer also heard rumors that Dallas had been seen at Gen Con, which had started the same day he disappeared. What's so Gen Con? Oh, Gen Con is the biggest tabletop gaming uh, convention in the country. It's something I've uh, had dreams of going to for uh, for years, and I just haven't haven't had the time or the uh, wherewithal, extra funds lying around to to make a plane ticket kind of a trip out of it. Where is it located? Indianapolis. Sean, you and me. I'm going to whisk you away. Yeah, We're going to go to Gen Con. Oh, absolutely. I, I pitched Carrie a, a Gen Con as a honeymoon destination. It didn't take for some reason. I can't imagine why not. Nick, you're going to love to hear this. William Deere actually played a session of Dungeons & Dragons. <gasps> I didn't know that. While he was doing research for this case. Oh, well, that puts him ahead of a lot of journalists who were working on D&D, so that's something. A hundred percent. We'll hear from Geraldo Rivera later. One whole session he played? Yeah, one whole session. <laughs> yeah, he... I'm sure he went eight hours. <laughs> it it was a complete session. I mean, he lays out the entire narrative in chapter nine of his book, oh, The God. Dungeon Master. I, I'm going to pick up this book. <laughs> Just make sure you pick up the right The Dungeon Master. That's true. I'm sure there are a lot of... Um, illustrative fiction <laughs> titles here's a brief brief excerpt just so you can get a sense of deer's uh, uh what deer expected from dungeons and dragons i didn't know what to expect from my dungeon master would he show up in a merlin costume with a funny pointed cap and star emblazoned all around would he be dressed as some authority figure an all-knowing wizard or a god 
I knew he would have complete control over the circumstances of the fantasy adventure on which I was about to embark. I knew he would be absolutely fair, siding neither with me nor with the monsters that I would face. He was an arbiter of the strictest impartiality, and his decisions were final. Would he come dressed in the robes of an eminent jurist? He came dressed in a sweater and jeans and scuffed tennis shoes. His name was Keith. He, he doesn't reveal the dungeon master's name. He sounds really focused on the idea that he'd be wearing robes. He mentioned a couple of different versions of wearing robes. <laughs> yeah, jurors' robes, wizards' robes. I think the man was disappointed that nobody showed up in a plume of smoke. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. He probably showed up in a beat-up fiero. Yeah, that's how every dungeon master has to show up to their session. Uh, most dungeon masters don't have to bring players, but uh, for this session for the purpose of educating William Deere, this dungeon master did bring along a friend, uh, and William Deere stepped into the shoes of a magic user, a human magic user named Tor. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's it's not bad, and no. they um, went on a quest to uh, retrieve the Ring of Karn for an ancient wizard, and uh, he ended up becoming the wizard's apprentice by the end of the session, uh, uh, the wizard having promised to teach him all of his magical secrets. Sounds like a pretty good session. Yeah. Uh, now, he didn't get along well with Lewis, the the fighting man who he was paired up with. Oh, dear. But that can be fun, too. It can, and uh, it, it was sort of fun. Tor, the magic user, cast charm on Lewis, the fighter, and got him to like him for like a little while. But then the DM said that <laughs> the spell had, uh, uh, you know, expired and the guy was mean to him again. It sounds like our friend Billy might have had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> he seems to have had a good time. Uh, and then the, the chapter ends very strangely. It says, uh, and I thanked the dungeon master for his efforts. Uh, but, 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 but I looked around. I was alone in a darkened room. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, it, wait, is this what happened? Was he alone? Was... He was alone the whole time. <laughs> I think we're supposed to infer that like this all actual, the dungeon, he did play D&D &D mm -hmm. because he <laughs> understands too much about the rules. Sure. Um, but we're supposed to intuit that the dungeon master did possess some level of supernatural ability. Or that he at least, like, left and that uh, Deer was so enthralled with the magic of the session that he, uh, he, he was still hanging out there. I don't know. Um, I will say, this guy's been... I think this book's been a little bit misrepresented. And this case certainly has been misrepresented. Uh, he does talk at length about how the boy played Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and he does lay out one possible reason for his disappearance as being uh, he got sucked into some kind of a, a game, had a psychotic break, thought he was his character, and disappeared. But he also says it's more likely the kid committed suicide, that he was kidnapped by an, an older uh, gay man. We'll get into uh, we'll get into Dallas's um, budding sexuality in a minute. My point is, he lays out other things, and, he, and then he kind of goes like, but there was also, this was a weird element to this case. And he kind of plugs, seems like he's plugging into the sensationalism around the case. He called it the Dungeon Master. Yeah, he knew I know. what he was doing. That hurts, that hurts that whole thing a little bit. But I'm, he does give credence to all kinds of other things, and he does say where he actually did find Dallas. Eventually, he got a tip to a possible location on Dallas, and he was sent to talk to a man in his mid-20s in Lansing who wouldn't answer any questions about Dallas and ask the men to leave as quickly as, as he could. Interesting. So are they assuming that Dallas is still alive at this point? 
Well, it was definitely an interesting kind of breadcrumb, right? And then the next day, Dallas called William Deere and told him to come pick him up in Morgan City, Louisiana. Oh, okay. It's a bit of a drive from Lansing. <laughs> it really is a bit of a drive. Um, as it transpired, Deere eventually spoke to Dallas uh, at length about this, and Dallas opened up to him. Um, they were friends, actually, after this. Um, Deere became one of Dallas's uh, few friends, it sounds like. Uh, this is according to Deere's book, mostly. But uh, apparently, Dallas had gone down to the steam tunnels that night, but not to play Dungeons & Dragons. On August 16th, he had gathered up cheese and crackers, a bag of weed, and what he thought were enough sleeping pills to kill himself. And he had headed down into the steam tunnels, uh, taken the pills, and when they didn't work, he went to a male friend's house in his mid-twenties. It is implied heavily in a lot of places that this was a boyfriend. Uh-huh. And um, when they started talking about him on the news, that guy got spooked because he had a minor who was missing at his house. Of course. Who he may have had a sexual relationship with. Mm-hmm. Not the best. And so from that point on, Dallas was moved to two different houses in Lansing. The second of which the guy was so afraid of the police finding him there that he wouldn't let him look out the windows. And Dallas was starting to get scared for his life. And that guy eventually bought him a ticket for New Orleans, sent him on his way without anywhere to stay on the other side. Now, why didn't Dallas want to go back home or back to college? Why was he just running away at this point? Well, like I said, Dallas was a 16-year-old freshman at the college. And he was dealing with... Incredible academic pressure and parental pressure, according to him. Uh, he was also a very, very awkward boy. Like, as much as he was a genius, and people say he was a genius uh, intellectually, he couldn't deal socially in any way. I mean, this is a, a terrible tragedy yes. for this kid. Um, I would actually say more D&D might have been a good thing for him. And, and we'll get into that for mm-hmm. sure. Um yeah, he, Dallas told William Deere that, quote, there was never enough time the way I was living. Interruptions, pressure, my parents hounding me. I wanted my life to get simpler, and it just got more complicated. So he attempted suicide, and then basically, when that didn't work, he ran away, knowing that people were looking for him and everything. Yeah, he sure did. And so he apparently went to New Orleans, lived on the streets for a few days before trying to kill himself again. Oh boy. With some cyanide that he manufactured. He was a very smart kid. Good lord. Then he just got a job working on an oil field for a few days. But meanwhile, he was still making phone contact with his friend in Lansing, who finally told him, like, listen, you gotta call this detective and come home. And so he did. Okay, well, that seems simple enough, Sean. It largely is. Um, unfortunately, Dallas's story doesn't continue too long after that because he ended up shooting himself in the head mm-hmm. on August 11th of 1980, uh, almost a year later. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. To your point, Carrie, I think what you were just driving at is where's the D&D in all this? Well, I mean, we, we know that the, the PI played it for sure, but how does the media and D&D interact here? The fact that the kid was a D&D player... And the fact that the detective, William Deere, was looking into that uh, was heavily publicized. It was the only thing that was talked about by the media on this case. So, I mean, that's 
pretty much all you need. Well, that and the case was fictionalized in a novel by a Rona Jaffe called Mazes and Monsters in 1981. Oh, interesting. I don't know how well read that book is. I've never heard of the book, but I have heard of the made-for-TV movie adaptation of that book, uh, also called Mazes and Monsters, that, that aired on CBS in 1982, and it was Tom Hanks's film debut at age 26. Was he playing the uh, Dallas role? Yeah, I mean, it's heavily fictionalized. It's not what well, this story is Well, it would have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, in Mazes and Monsters, Tom Hanks uh, has moved to a new college. He got kicked out of his old college because he was playing too much mazes and monsters. <laughs> and so he tells his new acquaintances that he meets uh, at the, you know, he's making new friends and he tells them about this game he used to play. And they're all saying like, oh, it sounds really cool. Let's play. And he says, no, I can't. I got kicked out of my old school because I was playing too much mazes and monsters. But eventually they bring him around. Now it turns out that he's a schizophrenic, basically, who hasn't gotten over the death of his younger uh, brother who died. And so, uh, after deciding to go down and play a live-action version of the game in the steam tunnels and caves underneath, there's like a network of caves underneath There's steam tunnels and caves. I believe the steam tunnels lead to the caves, yes. They're oh. going to go spelunking in the caves and as their characters. It's you a know. series of catacombs as <laughs> exist under every major university. Yeah, Karen, Classic steam tunnel caves. Have you been to college? Not like this. If you haven't explored the labyrinth underneath your college, did you ever even go? <laughs> and we actually had something at my college called the labyrinth, but it was above ground. The labyrinth with David Bowie. Did someone I wish. just uh, finger some glass balls? <laughs> there was a lot of fingering of glass balls. Talk I'm to you sure. about being the Goblin King. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. piece. <laughs> Period. Just cod piece. <laughs> Got such tight pants in that movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> so wistful. <laughs> yeah, she she was dreaming of it. <laughs> so Tom Hanks and his friends start playing this live action game of D and mazes and monsters uh, in the catacombs, and he ends up having a psychotic break, thinking he is his character, the paladin that he was portraying. And um, he ends up fleeing the tunnels, going to New York City, killing a homeless man. What? And then, yeah, because his character needs to find the two towers. And so he goes to New York City and uh, is going to ride to the top, rides to the top of the twin towers so that he can throw himself off so that he can open a portal to another realm. And his friends catch him at the last minute. But then at the end of the movie, Tom Hanks is just um, stuck in his parents' house forever, thinking he's living in an inn. As this paladin, and he's just he's just stuck, and D and D has broken his mind. And so, wait the the <laughs> ending of the movie is Tom Hanks asking his friends, like, "Will you play a game with me?" And they sit down and and they go, well, "Let's play the game with him one last time," because they've all learned of the dangers of oh, mazes and monsters. I was gonna say, it's they're gonna take yeah, him out gonna... back and put him out of his misery. Oh yeah, it ends with an old yeller. <laughs> <laughs> well. Okay, so basically it sounds like the author heard of this story and and what people were saying that maybe he had some sort of psychotic episode thinking he was in a Dungeons and Dragons. And she went, I like that version of the story. I'm going to disregard the whole truth and just make it so it's that version of the story. 100%. That's what happened. Yeah. Interesting. Um, And that is Tom Hanks' first movie. (laughs) It's a pretty good 
performance from Tom Hanks, I'd say. Uh, You've <laughs> I mean, seen it? Yeah, for a first movie, it's not bad. Um, the only piece of this that is even close to resembling the experience of Dungeons & Dragons is when you are done playing Dungeons & Dragons, you have a tendency to refer to your exploits as something that you experienced that like you and your friends actually <laughs> well, did no i mean i think dungeons and dragons sits in your memory the kind of way that going on a trip might sit in your memory sure like the time i cut the head off that mind flare right exactly <laughs> he did well we spend so much time in our dungeons and dragons games it is like we spent that in real time Oh, doing these things. I think some of our games are pretty close to real time. Oh. There's a lot of conversation. <laughs> oh, sometimes sometimes we were there for 12 hours and the characters experienced 12 hours of game. Or uh, eight. Yeah, or less. Um, I just mean that... Actually, you know what's funny? The last... This is a slightly off topic. I apologize, listeners. On Saturday, we played probably eight hours and I think it might have been 30 minutes of in-game time. Oh, well, the problem is com combat. combat rounds yeah. are six seconds, but take roughly ten minutes on the light side yeah. to figure out. That's so. if there's not too many yeah. combatants. Yeah, exactly. So combat tends to drag. As Carrie is breathing heavily into the <laughs> microphone, uh, knowing that I have thrown in her into different uh, combat situations with literally 80 enemies to fight. D&D <laughs> uh, &D gives lots of things for different people to grab onto and be interested in and carries uh, carries into the storytelling part of the story i'm a storyteller what can i say but you know to go back to last week and my little abraham lincoln uh story i if you think of it i do kind of remember our previous games as how i imagined they would play out mm -hmm. i don't remember what Sean looks like saying something while sitting at the table drinking a beer. But I kind of remember how I pictured his character Manfred standing in the house or whatever saying it to my character. So it is kind of interesting where yeah, it is kind of a blur between reality and fiction. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that this is the magic of D and D. This is what <laughs> this is what's great about um, theater, and what's great about yes. television. It's what's great about uh, reading. It's what's great about podcasts in mm -hmm. some ways. Um, it allows you to uh, kind of escape from where you are right now and kind of inhabit a different world. Now, it is a little bit like if you someone wrote a book about how someone watched a play and then immediately was like, well, I, like Hamlet, need to kill my family. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But there is, there is that little kernel of truth about how people remember their D&D experience. Yeah. Uh, emphasis on kernel. But, but it was stories <laughs> like this started popping up in the media and media reports of things like the Dallas Egbert case were inescapable. In the early to mid 80s, they were mounting every time somebody killed themselves, killed someone else, um, almost died, disappeared, got in big trouble with their parents, and they played Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, that was like the only thing reported uh, in the media, basically, because it was a new thing and it was interesting and kind of scary to people. And so it got thrown out there. Uh, heavy Metal was having the same thing uh, at this time and a little more on that later. So kind of like other hysterias that we talked about in episode 42, mm -hmm. um, it's sort of those 
that stuff of like, oh, this is a really good story, and they don't really follow up on the end of the story. Kind of like the the clown panic. It sort of just petered out, but we all remember it as there are a bunch of fucking clowns everywhere. Yeah, no one circles back six months later and goes, remember that kid who killed himself, by the way, it turns out it wasn't Dungeons and Dragons. Because that's not a story. It's more like it was Dungeons and Dragons and then he killed himself. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So you could say that a lot of people were bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. And... A very unimaginative woman uh, named Patricia Pulling started an organization called Exactly That. I presume she was trying Bothered? to... Bothered? Yeah. I think she was trying to trade on the success of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Mad. And so she made Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. Bad. It's <laughs> it's really frustrating that this one very positive cause would get a spinoff against <sighs> D&D. I know. Bothered about it. There, she was bothered about it. Uh, now, what was Patricia so bothered about? <laughs> Sounds like she was probably bothered by a lot of things. Now, Patricia's son, Irving, had shot himself in the chest. Oh, jeez. And died. Irving was active in role-playing games, specifically Dungeons & Dragons. I don't know if there were other role-playing games in 1981 when he died. Not really. Not really. So he was active playing D&D, and Pulling, his mother, believed that Dungeons & Dragons was directly responsible. Why? For his death. Oh, well, we'll get a, we'll hear from Patricia in a little bit, but suffice it to say here that she sued the principal of his school, Robert Bracey, over an alleged D&D curse that had been placed on Irving's character shortly before his death. <gasps> oh was he playing my. D&D with the principal? Oh my god. No, but the principal, I think the school was the game was played on school grounds, so the principal was responsible for the D&D curse. Sure. I did this go to trial? Uh, no, that lawsuit was dismissed. Also <laughs> dismissed was the lawsuit she filed against TSR Incorporated uh, for killing her son with a game. So her reasoning is he was a curse was put on him in the game, and that's why he killed himself in real life. Yeah, much yeah, like the Matrix. <laughs> exactly. Yes, if your character dies in D and D, you die here. The body cannot exist without the mind. There may be this really sad connection in so much that D&D &D is the kind of thing that would appeal to someone who might not do sports, might mm -hmm. not go out on a lot of dates, which is also, you know, these are warning signs for things like suicide, which are terrible. But it's very much like these are correlated things, but not because D&D &D makes you kill yourself or specifically a curse in D&D. &D. Um, I've got st some statistics for you later. So oh, please, please, please. But yeah, there's no question games like D&D like can be a coping mechanism for people whose lives are getting tough. Mm -hmm. um, again, like any escapist thing can be. Of um, course. But D&D is actually more social than, than a lot of them. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about all of it. Um, after her lawsuits were dismissed, uh, Patricia started Bothered About Dungeons & Dragons, along with Thomas Radecki who was a former psychiatrist and the founder of the National Coalition on Television Violence. Now, Radecki was uh, taking up the anti-D&D cause as well. He had once uh, te testifying in court, because he would uh, be brought in as a consultant on Dungeons & Dragons-related cases. <laughs> uh, that whole book of them. He once testified in court. Once during testimony, he cited a fictional letter written by a character in Mazes and Monsters as proof that D&D &D had caused the deaths of gamers. Oh, that's 
That's fascinating. It's, so it's not even a fictional letter that like a D and D character wrote to another D and D character. Yeah, and then he no, killed himself. It is from a movie. Yes, fictionalized account of someone else's death. That's rough. That's it's rough stuff. Wild. That testimony was thrown out. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> really? Now I did say former psychiatrist. Uh, not to throw any aspersions on uh, Mr. Radecki. No, please do. But he has twice lost his medical license for trading opioid prescriptions for sex. What's it with these creepy psychiatrists and their patients and being creeps and doing this stuff? And then getting in other people's business. Ugh. It's almost like the worst people among us can't stop themselves from telling everyone else how to spend their time. Interesting. It's real shocking. <laughs> now, this culminated. Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons got some... <laughs> I can't. If she really thinks that this killed her son, she'd be more than bothered she's, by it. She's positively peeved. Yeah, pissed. Pad. Pad would have been a good name. But but I think, um, yeah, they didn't want to cause confusion with the female hygiene product market. And Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Uh Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons did manage to get some real media buzz going because, again, the media was already primed for this, culminating in a 1985 60 Minutes special that featured interviews with both Patricia Pulling and G. Gary Gygax himself. The Triple G? Yeah. Um, now, just so you know, the kind of the tone with which the media was treating this stuff. Hysterical? This is just a little of the reporter's. Um, track, you know, before we get to the interviews. Timothy Grice, 21, shotgun suicide. The detective report noted, D&D became a reality. Irving Bink Pulling, 16, an avid D&D player, a suicide. Daniel and Stephen Irwin, 16 and 12, a murder and a suicide. The police said they were obsessed with the game. James Allen Kirby, 14 years old, charged with killing his junior high school principal, and wounding three other people. Police are blaming D&D. Jeffrey Jaklovich, 14. Stephen Loyakano, 16. Michael Dempsey, 17. And the list goes on. So, I mean... Okay. So, how do you feel about your hobby now, Nick? I mean, listen. When I'm done with the session of D&D, I often think I'm going to take a broadsword and I'm going to kill my vice principle <laughs> yes, of course well because because that lawsuit your mom made against him got dismissed right exactly um i mean this is it's just unfortunate um that people would find that connection to be so uh, tantalizing mm -hmm. um i mean if anything this was possibly bringing something good into these kids lives they probably didn't have a lot of socialization going on and so it's it's kind of sad that this this one thing that was possibly bringing some happiness or interest or whatever was being blamed for their death, which I very much doubt. Maybe one or two situations with mental illness, and maybe I mean I can't I can't discount that, but to say that there was like a, a craze of people being so obsessed with D and D that they kill themselves. I've I've played for a couple of years now. Thank you, Nick. Mm -hmm. And I have characters that I'm very very invested in, but I can't imagine ever doing anything like that. No, no, of course not. No, 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, it is the exact same thing we see every once in a while with video games or mm-hmm. hip-hop or at the time heavy metal. It's just people seeing something that on the face of it looks objectionable and saying, well, obviously little Timmy was a perfect, you know, mentally, you know, perfect boy. Uh, it's only this one external factor that would lead him down the crooked way. Gygax brings up that point in this 60 minute special. It's not one of the clips I pulled, but he did say something to the effect of like, well, I, you know, I think a lot of the time, if you look into these kids background, there will be many other things that they do, not just Dungeons and Dragons. And I think parents are grasping at straws to, to not be, you know, to not have any, any part in this or to have as, as little part as they can. As a parent, I'm sure it's completely horrific when, I mean, obviously when something like this happens, your kid, uh, commit suicides and you know there is an amount of guilt why didn't I notice what could I have done I'm sure that plays into it so you're trying to to blame anything else because deep down you're you're probably blaming yourself even if that's completely not at the root of what had happened um, as a parent you can't help it for Patricia pulling the blame fell on Dungeons and Dragons a game that she says she hadn't even heard of until after her son had killed himself. But it was after... She hadn't even heard of I was... it. I mean, my mom knows that we play Dungeons and Dragons. We went into the kitchen, and there on the table were the, what we thought were just regular composition books with schoolwork in it, and much of the Dungeons and Dragons material, along with this curse he had received in the game that day that he died. The curse that was placed on Bink's D&D character began, Your soul is mine. I choose the time. In a letter that he left, Bink said he had been summoned to kill himself because he was evil. It was obvious through his writings that he felt he had assumed this character. But what I couldn't get into my mind was, is it possible? How could anybody do that? How could a 16-year-old that is smart, intelligent, why would they believe that they were something in a game? And why would they kill themselves because somebody else said to do it? Now, Radecki, uh, our, our old friend, ex-Dr. Radecki, was all, he's not a friend. He was also brought up in this, doc, he's quoted in this documentary as well, or this 60 Minutes special, um, because he has witnessed personally some really shocking stuff. I mean, I, I had never heard of this. In some of those, it was clearly the decisive element. In other ones, it was just a major element in the thinking of the people at the time they committed suicide or, or murder. It's not coincidence, not when you have careful documentation, you have careful notes, you have eyewitnesses. For instance, one case, the parents were actually saw their child summon uh, Dungeons and Dragons demons into his room before he killed himself. Another case, the kid had thought he had the ability to astral travel coming from the Dungeons and Dragons game that he could leave his body and come back and he had rigged it up just according to the rule book so he could do it. He was surrounded by his materials and put a bullet in his head so he could leave his body and he's never come back. You know, just like they tell you in the rule book. <laughs> there aren't load any a 45. in Dungeons and Dragons. There are in certain settings. If you, <sighs> you're setting up this idea that, oh no, this can't be a coincidence. I have documented careful evidence, including one parent who saw a demon get summoned into a room based yeah. on a game that you can pick up at Toys R Us. Yes, summoned an actual D&D demon. Oh my god. This is... Give me an example of an actual D&D demon, Nick. Oh, sure. Like a Balruga? Sure. So, like, this kid Bless just you. summoned one of them guys. 
that would be a, a giant, uh, about a 12-foot gorilla. Uh, it's got reckless attack, so it's pretty good. It's pretty <laughs> this, good. This must have been surprising for... Um... For the parents. I would have to think. I wonder how they got rid of it. That's my real question. Those those spells have a good minute, maybe maybe 10 minute last. That's a long time to have a demon in your house. Well, that's true, but maybe maybe the parents knew to spell magic. That's a good point. I can't uh, possibly dispute that. We don't know if the parents had levels in cleric. <laughs> and it's always good to bring along. <laughs> Boring, but uh, effective. So they related this to satanism specifically um it was just more that dungeons and dragons was driving children toward uh, was devilish death and suicide yeah with their uh, you know all, with all the it's just occult stuff in general mm-hmm. that they but but that all kind of gets put in the same bucket right um now gary gygax like i said was also on this 60 minute special and here's a little of gary and just a little more of patricia pulling this is make-believe and nobody's murdered and there's no violence there. I mean, uh, to, to use an analogy with another game, who is bankrupted by losing a game of Monopoly? Nobody is, because the money is make-believe, the property is make-believe, and the bankruptcy is make-believe. It is not like Monopoly. There is no board. It is role-playing, which is typically used for behavior modification. Typically used for behavior modification, and nothing else. When I play Monopoly, I'm role-playing. I got my monocle, I got my rich uncle money bags. It's, I'm ready to go. It's true. I keep trying to get Carrie to donate her silk spats, but she says, nope, <laughs> next time we break out the Monopoly board. Um, it's, it's really interesting. Gary Gygax was a, um, he was a Jehovah's Witness. Um, Very religious man. Yeah. Uh, like the sort of person that would go from door to door espousing uh, Christ. Uh, the fact that the game that he made up with his friends for playing for fun was connected to all of these tragedies. It, it makes you feel bad for Gary. Although, I don't think anything has been better for D&D's publicity or popularity than the Satanic Panic. Confirmed. As this uh, started to unfold, as this started to hit the media in a big way, um, between 1979 and I think 82, D&D quadrupled its, re- its revenue. Um, it's, I think it's the same thing you saw with Grand Theft Auto and the hot coffee controversy where yes, if you course. put in like a code, you could like have sex in the game. Uh, it was, you could see like badly pixelated breasts. I mean, I remember those breasts. Uh, no, I, <laughs> yeah, it, they were triangles. Right. I mean, they're, they're very easy to remember. It was like Lara Croft with a different, um, right. it was just a different color. It's only nine polygons. It's hard to forget. Um, don't wink at me. <laughs> the, the point is, I mean. These sort of things actually uh, help D and D become more popular. Uh, it was it was cool. Like, listen, I if someone says, "Hey, let's go to your basement and let's all like you know pretend and we'll we'll have spreadsheets and we'll uh, roll dice," you might go, oh, "Okay, well, maybe." But if you hear, "Hey, there's this game. You summon a demon," <laughs> I think I think more people are going to go, especially in the '80s at like the height of metal. Well, it was also the era of the Ouija board in a big bad way. Kids want a game that's going to summon a demon. D&D is just not it. And we'll get into the rest of the media controversy and its ultimate uh, sort of simmer down, thank God, uh, after the break. One of Scotland's most notorious unsolved murders. 
To think that someone could turn a cheese wire into a garrote and take someone's life. The level of violence, the uncertainty and the randomness frightened people. She always thought the killer was going to come back after her. Society needs to find that killer. Who is the cheese wire killer? Listen to the full series now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Edward October. And I'm here at the October Pod Ranch in the Great Smoky Mountains. Almost every night here, there's a ghost story party around the campfire. In my family, we believe that scary stories are best told around a roaring fire with a bottle of wine. That's why bold individualists everywhere choose October Pod for their retro horror thrills. Our stories are so good because they're told with such care. Understated. Moody. And above all chilling. Why don't you join us for retro horror of impeccable taste? Choose Octoberpod. Find us on YouTube or at octoberpodvhs.com. Octoberpod. Retro horror for bold individualists. Welcome back. Before the break, we talked about Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons, and, uh... I'm positively bothered about Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I'm bothered about the name. I'm miffed about Bothered by Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And, uh, Patricia Pulling and Thomas Radecki, who, uh, started that organization, um, happily had faded entirely from the public consciousness by 1990 or so. Um, but all through the 80s, this kind of D&D panic continued at a nice low simmer, uh, uh, occasionally boiling over into something truly hilarious. Uh, one example of that is the Chick Tract Dark Dungeons. Uh, now, for those who don't know, the, for those who are blissfully unaware, uh, Chick Tracts are these small religious comics. Like, they come in little pamphlets. Yeah. Um, if you've ever, ever seen a Tijuana Bible, which is an old, What? Is that a drink? No, it's an old-timeier thing than a Chick Tract. Mm-hmm. They used to be, like, little tiny comic books, like Chick Tracts they would sell, but they'd be real, like, kind of sexy or violent or... And they're called Tijuana Bibles? Yeah. Yeah. They look kind of like Archie Comics. Yeah. Well, Interesting. very different content. Very different content. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would think. Very... More Riverdale than Archie. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then some. Um, but so Jack Chick had probably seen these and wanted to do kind of the opposite, like a really religious version. Although it it still is very prurient. It's still very playing on your, um, ooh, there's salacious things going on about sex and gays and demons. That's just a Friday night, baby. Um, Jack Chick was a born-again Christian, and this was in the early um, part of the century. He was born in 1924. Um, so I guess... In the mid-century, he started Chick Publications from his kitchen table. Um, That's like me with my little newsletter in second grade. It is exactly like that. If you had grown into a company that spewed its hate to over 750 million people across the world. So you can dream, Caroline. Oh, I'm, I'm already there, baby. Um, Jack Chick. Obviously, I have no problem with Jack Chick being a religious man. What I have a problem with is everything else about Jack Chick. <laughs> The um, content of his comic books, basically. And yes. his character. Uh, yes. He was, um, 
he's been criticized over the years as being many things, um, notably anti-Catholic, um, with ch- tracks with titles like "Are Roman Catholics Christians?" and one about the Eucharist called "The Death Cookie." Oh, I like that. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna find this death I made cookie. Some, That's yeah, catchy, I made right? some of those for uh, Halloween last year. Um, it, obviously, it goes without saying. There were also comics that were anti-gay, anti-evolution. And of course, poo evolution, <laughs> boo. Well, no, there's one that's like goes deep into the weeds about like fraud science about how we can't have come from monkeys. Um, and of course, there were plenty dedicated to the vast conspiracy of Satanists waiting to bait your children into ritual sacrifice around every corner. Duh. And one of these did involve Dungeons and Dragons, and so I have. A script here, if the two of you could lend me your voice talents. Yes. And uh, Caroline, I think here you can uh, say the part of Debbie, our uh, main character. She's the only one in every scene. I will assay it. Emphasis on the ass. And since this is just a three-hander, Nick and I are going to have to take on additional roles. But Nick, if you read the uh, red parts, uh, you can be uh, to start out with the Dungeon Master. Oh, I'm happy to. And I'll take on, um, oh, by the way, the Dungeon Master is a woman. I know we're not looking at the comic, but later on she'll be referred to as Mrs. All right, I can, I can, I can do this. <laughs> I mean, you can just do like a Tim Curry. He's androgynous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'm trying to, I have to get into the character, let me see. Okay. Uh, are you guys ready? I am ready. I'm ready. O- audience, sit back. <laughs> get yourself a refreshing uh, <laughs> beverage and a popcorn and enjoy this presentation of Dark Dungeons. Okay, wizard, cast your spell. Okay, dungeon master, my spell of light blinds the monster. The thief, Blackleaf, did not find the poison trap, and I declare her dead. No! Not Blackleaf! No, no, I'm going to die! Don't make me quit the game, please! Don't! Somebody, save me! You can't do this! Marcy, get out of here. You're dead. You don't exist anymore. Debbie, your cleric has been raised to the eighth level. I think it's time you learn how to really cast spells. You mean you're going to teach me how to have the real power? Yes, you have the personality for it. Now. The intense occult training through D&D prepared Debbie to accept the invitation to enter a witch's coven. Uh, I imagine that is played with like some rocky music <laughs> and somebody drinks wine out of like a blood red goblet. Yes, of course. Whole montage situation. <clears throat> I've brought Elfstar <laughs> to become a priestess and a witch. Welcome, Elfstar. Now you will become a priestess of the craft. And of the Temple of Diana. Ms. Frost, this is fantastic. This makes the game real. It's not a fantasy anymore. I know you were ready by the way you played the game, but this is just the beginning. There is so much more. Last night, I cast my first spell. This is real power. Which spell did you cast, Debbie? I used the mind bondage spell on my father. He was trying to stop me from playing D&D. And what was the result? He just bought me $200 worth of new D&D figures and manuals. It was great. Later that week... Hey, Debbie. Marcy's on the phone. She wants to talk to you. She's really upset. 
I can't. I'm fighting the zombie. Tell her I'll see her tonight. Later that night. Hi, Mrs. Anderson. Marcy wanted to see me tonight. I'm glad you're here, Debbie. Marcy has shut herself in her room and won't come out. She hasn't been herself for weeks. I've been very worried. Ever since her character in the game got killed, it's as though part of her died. Maybe you can talk some sense into her. At this point, we have a panel of just Debbie opening a bedroom door and seeing what we can presume are her friend Marcy's shoes dangling from somewhere above the panel. Oh my god. No! No, Marcy! You didn't have to do that! And now a close-up on a note. It's my fault Blackleaf died. I can't face life alone! Marcy. (laughs) Ms. Frost, I can't get Marcy out of my mind. How could she do something like this? If I'd left the game, she'd be alive today. Get your priorities straight, Debbie. (laughs) Your spiritual growth through the game is more important than some lousy loser's life. It would have happened sooner or later. Her spirit was too weak. Burn. But the law of our faith is that we can do anything we want as long as we harm no one. But we have harmed Marcy. What have I gotten myself into? Don't be stupid, Debbie. I think you'd better let Elfstar take care of things. You're getting out of control. I don't want to be Elfstar anymore. I want to be Debbie. Hey, Debbie, what's wrong? Can I help? (laughs) I thought I had all the answers, Mike, but now everything is falling apart. Debbie, I told you, Jesus is the only answer. (laughs) I've been praying and fasting for you. Why would you do that for (coughs) me? Because I know what you're involved in. It's a spiritual warfare that you can't win without the Lord Jesus. What can I do? Come with me to a meeting this afternoon. The speaker came out of witchcraft and he knows what you're up against. It's really great that the speaker has the backstory of being a former witch. Yeah. Yes. But but in a second we'll see. I think he's all he must be an accredited exorcist as well. Oh, I'm a, yeah, I'm about to lay it on here, I guess. <clears throat> if you want the Lord Jesus as your savior, come forward now. James Earl Jones? Oh god, I need help. My life's a mess. Help me! In the name of Jesus, I order you spirits of the occult to leave, Debbie. Lord Jesus, I repent. I trust that you died for me. Please be my savior. You guide me through life. I want you to be in charge of everything. Not that stupid D&D manual. Debbie burned all of her occult material that night. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free. And scene. There is a lot to unpack there, but the fact that the spell worked and let her get her parents to buy $200 worth of D&D stuff is my favorite part. I want that spell. It's a weird... That that one's a weird choice, because there might be, you know... that, that's going to pull a couple of kids in, you I was going to say, it sounds like on one side of this, you would possibly learn magic. Without her friend dying. Like, other than her friend killing herself. <laughs> The only bad thing that happened... There's nothing else bad that happens. It really sounds Ms. like... Miss Frost seems like a predator, but... Um, oh, she's grooming <laughs> Debbie. There's no question about that. It sounds like if you're good at D&D, it's just all bueno. Yeah, yes. that's true. Yeah, don't lose D&D. Yeah, that's, it's just a high-risk game. <laughs> okay. N- now... You know, now you're really selling me. This is kind of like Formula One. Mm-hmm. All the glory or, you know, get your face burned off like that guy in that movie. Rush.
It's a good movie. I haven't <laughs> seen it, but it's on my list. Uh, we, sorry, listener. It's really good. <laughs> it's like surprising. We'll talk about it after the podcast. It, it surprised me how good it was. Anyway, that was Dark Dungeons in 1984. And just for perspective, dear listener, I recently received a chick tract in the mail. Oh, yeah. Jack Chick is dead. Um, God, <laughs> Long live God, Jack Chick. God damn his soul. <laughs> uh, but, but, but Chick Publishing is well, alive and well, and they're still uh, still just putting those little uh, little uh, leaflets of hate out uh, throughout the world. Carrie, do you remember what the... It wasn't anything fun. It, it came out as like a little flip book type of thing, like uh, index card sized. Um, I still have it somewhere, but it w- I was really hoping it would be the Dungeons and Dragons one or something about witches because, you know, maybe that was targeted hate toward me. Uh, but no, it was just something dumb. Yeah, Dark Dungeons is out of stock on Chick Publications website because it's one of the most popular uh, uh, ones. Not yeah, for I'm the sure, reasons they intended. I'm sure it's it's fun to to cut up and like put up on your wall for uh, in your game room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it actually would be fun to have a table entirely like mod podged with mod podged with that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. with, with just that comic over and over again. Cut. Oh, up. sure. Um, and then you can put some glass over the top of that. And you can and play you, D&D on it. You yeah. play that's dirty a, games on it. That's a good table. Yeah. Carrie, I want fun. that table. All right. I'm also thinking it would be fun to start giving your friends chick tracks, like, in the mail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's too close to actual hate speech or something. It depends something, on which one. But I think it could be really funny. <laughs> it depends on which one. Sure. The last the last really widely publicized... Um, D&D murder or suicide, D&D incident of the 80s, um, was the murder of Leith von Stein in 1988. This was on July 25th. Leith von Stein and his wife Bonnie were sleeping when someone attacked them in their bedroom with a knife and a club. Leith was killed. His wife Bonnie survived with injuries. Now, her daughter from a previous marriage, Angela Pritchard, was in the house but claimed she had slept through the attack. Bonnie's son, Chris Pritchard, wasn't at the house because he was living uh, at NCSU at the time. North Carolina State University. In the steam tunnels. He, he was living in the steam <laughs> tunnels. It Actually, steam tunnels come up here, so don't, don't even joke. <laughs> oh, God. Um, when investigators found that Leith's estate was worth $2 million, they immediately started looking at his wife and her two kids as possible suspects. And... Bonnie and Angela were pretty clean, but eventually Chris Pritchard's friend, Neil Henderson, confessed that he had driven Chris and their other friend, Bart Upchurch, to and from the murder scene. Chris Pritchard and Bart Upchurch? Yeah, Bart was a nickname. His name was like, it might not be Andrew, but it was like Andrew Bart Upchurch. So, uh, yeah. Neil drove Chris and Bart over there to do the murder. Uh, Pritchard had told the boys that he would reward them with some of his inheritance money. If Henderson drove them to the scene and Upchurch murdered his uh, mother and stepfather. Sean, you really bummed me out that he didn't reward them with some kind of experience points or like... I know, inspiration. a magic sword. Right, exactly. A sword of plus so one. So he was having someone else do the murder and he was just going to give him some of the money? Yeah. <laughs> he was just kind of present outside from what it sounds like. In the trial, Pritchard admitted to masterminding the attacks, and Henderson admitted to driving to the scene as they both threw threw Upchurch under the bus to get reduced sentences for themselves. So Bart Upchurch was sentenced to death, 
as well as 20 years and six years and life. Well, Pritchard got uh, life plus 20 years and Henderson got 40 plus six. Neil Henderson was paroled in the year 2000. Chris Pritchard was paroled in 2007. Upchurch will not be eligible for parole until 2022. So how does this relate to D&D, Sean? Uh, well, two books were written about this crime. You'll notice D&D hasn't been mentioned at all yeah, I up noticed. to this point. Um, two books were written about this crime. One was by Joe McGinnis called Cruel Doubt, and it was uh, adapted for TV as a miniseries called Cruel Doubt. Um, Jerry Bledsoe wrote a book called Blood Games, which was adapted as the TV movie Honor Thy Mother. Both Man. the adaptations came Not out. Not as 92. catchy as Blood, Blood Games. Blood Games I would watch in a heartbeat. <laughs> 100%. Honor Thy Mother because he killed his mother, though. Yeah, well, he but he's trying to. Come on, you know you gotta see Blood Games. John Clan Van Damme's probably in it. Mm-hmm. He probably is. Uh, we gotta check whether he was in Honor Thy Mother, but I doubt it. Um, both of these books heavily emphasized the fact that these three boys were D and D players, and how they would. You guys listen to this. The boys reported that they would get drunk and high and go play live action D and D games in the steam tunnels under the school. It really seems like steam tunnels are the more contributing factor here. Steam tunnels are dangerous. Yeah, I'm all for plugging them up. (laughs) (laughs) Why are there so many steam tunnels? Um, Both of the TV adaptations had shots in them of like a player's handbook on a table. But the art was doctored, so it looked like the murder scene later. Mm. So they both used the same gag of like, and here's where the book inspired the murder. Oh, boy. It's really fun to use a D&D player's handbook the way you'd use, like, the heroin needle. Like, oh, yeah, this is the thing. This is the <laughs> one thing. Yeah, it's um, Chekhov's murder, murder weapon. It's like a game of Clue. I just want to give you guys an idea of the media environment that all this was living in. Because it's different and yet similar to, uh, to today. It's just that today we're not, I don't think we're, this all sounds, a lot of this sounds silly because we're not as worried about Satanists specifically today. Um, but I'm going to play a couple clips from a Geraldo Rivera special from 1988. <sighs> Geraldo. And this isn't directly Dungeons and Dragons related. It's more heavy metal related. But again, I think it's all in the same bucket. And this is just the silly things that people were associating with Satanism uh, at the time. So here's Geraldo talking at the, towards the, the outset of this hour long special, uh, talking to some young Satanists that he found at heavy metal concerts. A heavy metal freak from Louisiana. Joe got himself into self-mutilation in Satan's name. We'd cut our arms and let the blood drip into a cup and we'd pass it around and drink from the cup from each other's blood. Kim from Colorado also practiced the gruesome ritual. Violence with blood. We like to see blood and we used to eat blood and stuff like that. Drinking blood as entertainment is apparently a staple in the acts of heavy metalists like Wasp. My life became centered not only around the marijuana I I was smoking and the booze I was drinking, but it became centered around Satan. I mean, that's shocking stuff, guys. (laughs) This is where that rock music is going to be. We cut our arms and we drink the blood. Did you hear that, Nick? Drinking blood is part of the stage show of some of these bands. I I mean, I'm I'm aghast. I'm going to throw away my Dio albums right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's how Geraldo introduces uh, all of this. Now, what I really want to get to is Geraldo's treatment of Ozzy Osbourne on this uh, show. But first, uh, 
the way he gets to talking to Ozzy is first he's talking to a group of priests and then one Satanist. So they can all kind of gang up on this poor, weird guy. Uh, and he is weird. It's Dr. Michael Aquino. Aquino. I've A heard of him. Aquino. He started the Temple of Set. Yeah. Basically, uh, Michael Aquino was one of the top members of Anton LaVey's Church of Satan. And then he walked away because he felt like Anton was... Basically, from my reading of it, he felt like Anton was having too much of a good time. And he wanted to get back to like the dour uh, religiosity of Satanism. You know, if you're going to worship Satan, you might as well have a bad time with it. Yep, absolutely. He's a man with um, Spock's eyebrows and hair. And hair. That's such yeah. a fun. That's a look. He looks kind of like if you took Spock and just put your hand on his head and squished him down a little bit. I think that's my new fetish. <laughs> I'm sorry for Spock that. squishing. Sorry, Tara. There's a lot of search results on Spock squishing on Nick's laptop. And so uh, here's an excerpt from his... Uh, his conversation with um, with Dr. Aquino. If you're talking about Satanism as legitimate Satanists define it, absolutely not. It is ethical, it is above ground, it is positive. If you are talking about the devil as it is defined by religions such as Father Labar's, then it is, in fact, a symbol of degenerate behavior, and this is part of our problem. Tonight. Should we have warnings, sir, the way we do on cigarette packs for people coming into your houses of worship? Warning. This sect may be dangerous to your health and the health of the people you know. No, because in the case of the Temple of Set and the Church of Satan, we have not had any problems with criminal behavior. Among and yet things, when you hear story after story after story... Just no one can get a word in edgewise with Geraldo. No, I mean, he's got his own specific kind of show that he's mm, running here. Yes. But why bother asking uh, Aquino the questions? Aquino? <laughs> Aquino. Why bother asking Aquino the questions? I don't know. I've watched some some Fox News in my life. It's <laughs> all the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to bring this up so the audience has the question in their head. I won't let you get the answer out. Mm -hmm. I love when, should we have warnings on the, on the outside of your temple? <laughs> like on cigarette packs. Yeah, like a, like a historic home has a little plaque outside. Geraldo, I don't think, has a list of questions he's reading from. It's a list of like exclamations that he wants to get to and he just adds the questions in between that will get him to his own exclamations i'm really fascinated by the idea what if i had come on this podcast and received this treatment from sean and carrie i <laughs> wish we should have done that they let's record accused me of satanism <laughs> and, Nick. and where's your sense of responsibility sir <laughs> <laughs> this podcast has turned against me <laughs> um well speaking of which so he he cuts off father aquino no, it's Dr. Aquino and the, and the priest he's talking to. And uh, cuts a, walks over to a TV monitor and uh, starts addressing Ozzy uh, for just a minute. He barely lets him answer one question and then he uh, cuts him off pretty fast. But here's... I'm uh, just shocked Ozzy deigned to appear. Here's Ozzy's first answer. Every single kid that we, whose case we know about, who committed a violent act in Satan's name was also into heavy metal music. What's your response to that, Oz? Well, I don't really know. All I all I do is um, make music. You know, I don't I don't I don't sit down and purposely plan to freak everybody out. I mean, I always have played heavy metal music. Uh, I suppose when I was younger and I started writing songs, my world was kind of dark and dingy. You know, I was I came from a working class family who had nothing, no no dough, no prospects of ever having much money. And so that's, that's how I saw the world as a child. And so 
Well, uh, not all my songs are about Satanism. Of course not. In fact, uh, if you... Stand by, Ozzy, because I, I want to get to Sean Sellers, who's the youngest kid ever to go on death row. All right, we're, we've got a good itinerary here. All right, give us a minute, Ozzy. That was a very well-reasoned response from Ozzy, all things considered, saying... I don't always sing about Satan. Sometimes I sing about war pigs. You gotta think about how much, how many drugs he's trying to power through to <laughs> get the, every answer out. I think he's doing a remarkable job. Yeah, that's really God's work, to be I honest. Know. Compared to the Ozzy we all saw on the Osbournes a few scant years, well, 20 years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and finally, he returns to Ozzy in the next segment and uh, uh, finally gives him a chance, uh, briefly, to, uh, to speak his mind. And here's uh, where Geraldo finally, finally gives the Prince of Darkness... Some of the tough questions. Do you feel a sense of responsibility, Oz? The only responsibility I feel is, is the fact that I, I just, I'm, a, I'm a true musician in um, what I play. I don't, I don't want to make anybody start doing all this devil worship crap, because that's not my intention. Although I have sang on a few songs about the devil, you know, that's about it. You know, I, I don't want anyone to harm themselves. What that's about the intention. issue of responsibility? What about the whole thing about guilt? Do you feel responsible? I don't, I don't feel. I don't feel guilty. I feel um, kind of persecuted by everybody because I'm not a bad guy. I'm, I'm, it, my intentions are not to harm anyone. In fact, it's, it's directly the opposite. Like when people come to my concerts, I want them to have a good, fun evening out. You know, and it's, it's, it seems to me that a lot of people judge the book by the cover more. more. So they, they write things about me. Well, they don't even know that I talk, what they're talking about, you know. You it's go. not my bag, baby. Is he from Liverpool by any chance? Where's Ozzy Osbourne originally from? Because he sounds like someone doing, like, attempting a Ringo Starr <laughs> impression. Ozzy Osbourne sounds like he's trying desperately not to swear on TV. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Definitely working class England, yeah. And he's in, like, uh, all black, obviously, but he's got, like, little, little, um, a little beaded kind of shawl or, or cape that he's wearing. <laughs> Very well. normal, Oz. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, the gall, the absolute gall of Geraldo Rivera to refer to him as Oz. Uh, twice! In two it's, different it's questions. like calling him Bob De Niro. Like, relax, Geraldo. Like, I don't think you're on Oz level. And you called him here just to embarrass him. Don't, don't do that thing of like, what do you think, Oz? Come on, Oz. I think Mr. Osborne would be most appropriate <laughs> given Ab- the context. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't think he... He probably didn't shorten anyone else's names. It's not like Dr. Thomas... It's not like um, Thomas Aquinas. Nope. That's Michael Aquino. It's not like Michael Aquino. Oh, Thomas Aquinas is an actual saint. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's not like Dr. Michael Aquino. He's going, now, Mike, <laughs> tell me about your Satan church. Come on. You know? Well, I would have expected that more than him referring to the priests as like Bill or something. Right, know? and he didn't do that either. But I, I just mean everybody gets more respect than Oz. Mm-hmm. Even the actual Where's Satanist. Where's the respect sample. for Oz? Um, that was 1988, and the wave was starting to crest. By the time Geraldo gets to it, it's almost over. And the panic about heavy metal and the panic about Dungeons and Dragons... Was only a few years away from finally um, ending. But before that happened, uh, TSR did make some changes to their game to kind of respond to this controversy. Kind of. Meanwhile, by the way, as Nick said, uh, and we've referenced it, popularity continued to soar through the 80s. This whole controversy was good for Dungeons & Dragons. 
Um, but that said, they did make some changes, including removing references to uh, demons and devils. Well, they're really just replaced. So you've got the uh, Batazu is basically all the devils in second edition, and then the demons are the Tanari in uh, second edition. And then you can really see how nobody cares by the time third edition comes out because they're just back to being demons and devils. <laughs> well, they're just monsters <laughs> instead of demons at this point. Yeah, well, well, at that point, I mean. Yeah, I mean, they're they're... They're demons and devils. Yeah. Um, I mean, first edition uses uh, actual names of devils from like the Bible. You've got Asmodeus and like Beelzebub and stuff. Oh, um, they were just ripping off everything in that first edition. Yeah, hobbits, Beelzebub. Well, and if you were a pre, if you were a priest or a cleric, you would just pick a god. You right? just yeah, you might just pick Thor, Zeus. I guess you might pick Jesus. <laughs> right, or Satan, I sure. guess, you know, technically. Yeah. Well, not, not in first edition. You're not going to be a, a, a cleric of Satan in first edition. <laughs> Wait, did they have a list of gods to choose from? Um, yeah. They, oh, okay. Yeah. But they were actual gods. Like yeah, Thor I mean, and... it, they pulled from specific <laughs> pantheons. There was a book, I think it was called Demons, or it was called Deities and Demigods, um, that pulls out. They love out, that alliteration. Yeah. Um, that pulls out all the specific uh, gods that like they are pulling from. Um, yeah, but by third edition, we're back, and they just use those, like, the Tanari are just in as, like, oh, this is a kind of, uh, demon. I saw a reference to, like, they also, one of the books says, like, you know, these, and demons and devils are also known by other names because, uh, they're mischievous and tricksy, and they mm -hmm. don't want you to know what they're called. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So they kind of work all of that stuff in, just in case there's anyone still kicking around from second edition who's like, I liked calling them that. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, fifth edition is, even now, you're still using basically Faustian nine circles of hell stuff for demons and devils, which is, I mean, awesome, obviously, but... <laughs> Well, that show. No, Nick, it's very, very bad. Yes, this podcast about how bad it is. I guess you guys won't go to Avernus then. Oh, shit, I want to go to Avernus. It's like Mad Max there. There's a lot of hell war machines to ride. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> Say no more. Manfred Stormstrings is there. <laughs> That's my bard, listeners. Now, the shift back kind of happened under Wizards, right? Because D&D &D was bought by Wizards of the Coast, who are most famous for Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1997, and then they released the third edition of the game in 2000, and immediately started introducing stuff uh, that was more adult, and also, um, you know, f once again flirted with that kind of heaven-hell line again, um, starting with A Paladin in Hell, a book they released in 98, and A Guide to Hell, a book they released in 99. Yeah, Wizards of the Coast gave no fucks, I guess. Well, they're trying to capital. They're like, this is what works. This is what we want. We got to get the kids in with this metal music. I guess, you know, 2000's a little late to try to bite that bullet. It is, but they were trying because in 2002 and 2003, they released their first mature audience label, D&D &D books. Were um, they sexy? Book of Vile Darkness was all about... Uh, Vile no, no, that's Darkness. A, that's a bad one. You don't want that book. That's the book with rules for, like, uh, sadomasochism and drug use. Yeah, no, it's, no, it's not good. And there's... Do you... There's another one about which uh, about all the sex you could possibly have in Dungeons and Dragons. Is that the book of Exalted Deeds? Because that came out the next year. That mm -hmm. was the second. Um, it's. I think it's like the opposite of the. No, that that makes sense. No, I can't but, remember. The but name. it was a mature content book. Mm -hmm. Listen, I'm just surprised it didn't get involved earlier, considering 
a lot of these guys, uh, you know, classic mom's basement situation, you would think that they would want to romance some pretty elf lady or... Yeah, well, who doesn't want to romance a pretty elf lady? I, I don't know if I need Wizards of the Coast to give me mathematical tables to do it with. Um, yeah, but you're a you're a man with a wife. <laughs> not to get on too deep a tangent, but at one point I had a table of all of the races that could possibly reproduce. Races in D&D meaning like elves and dwarves and such. I'm not a racist. Um, but... So I had this, I was joking with a friend about it, and I was sending it to him via an internet messenger, not realizing that I also had, of the very next window, an internet messenger with my boss. Great. Oh, my God. Um, and thinking, I copied and pasted, and then I had forgotten that that was what I had most recently copied. So I sent my boss uh, just a, a table full of... <laughs> potential offspring in a fantasy game oh my god now this story could have a terrible ending but it has a great ending because my boss played dungeons and dragons oh <laughs> thank fantastic. god Did you i get... was i was cringing so hard no, for you you're it, like we've been looking for a tank no it, in fact he recruited me to help um <laughs> with his barbarian uh to help him maximize his damage output fantastic really killed a friday for me oh you're you're... living a charmed life nick salisi it sounds like your boss is the one who uh lucked out because you are a bona fide power gamer yeah he (laughs) um my first games of 3.5 and pathfinder i played with that guy um nick potentially the opposite of carrie he does love the storytelling part of the game he loves the faffing around but he uh most of all I do love the crunch. Yeah, loves those rules. I'm a creamy girl. What can I say? Yeah. Nick's a guy who can try to win a D- <laughs> win a D&D. I, I, I do get upset on my way home going, that wasn't the right spell. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons has this rich history of involving all these different uh, like demons or like dark aspects uh, in the game. Your you know tensions can run high, emotions can run high. Um, but I mean, it's just a very silly game. So I'm not. It, all of these connections are very very thin. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just the amount that it was getting reported in the media, which it's the same thing with the uh, sex abuse cases we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a rash of satanic sex abuse cases across the country. It's just. Um, a few and in fact actually that one's even crazy (laughs) that one's even crazier if you hadn't if you missed our last week's episode go back and um a lot of those cases nothing had happened at all and that was just erupting across the country for um apparently almost no reason with D&D, these uh the cases that involved D&D played up that aspect of it and were over reported now as to an actual link between dungeons and dragons and um antisocial or violent or suicidal behavior there just isn't one um and this has been studied by the american association of suicidology uh by the cdc that sounds like a real fun workplace i I didn't know suicidology is the name of the study of suicide yeah they call me dr death it's probably not something a suicidologist <laughs> says. I would have to say they probably don't have that much of a sense of humor about it. As to, they shouldn't. You'd have to have some sense of humor about it. It's a dark, it's a dark field. When the CDC did a study on this, they found that um, in the 80s, the average uh, yearly youth suicides in the 
in the 80s, the U.S. averaged 5,300 youth suicides per year. And youth they were defining by, I think, 14 to 25. Um, over that period, over, from 1979 to 1988, the CDC found that there had been only 128 suicide attempts reported by hobby gamers. And based on the numbers, the 5,300 per year, they thought that there should have been at least 1,060 suicides over the same period, but only 128 had tried it. So if anything, does D&D reduce suicide attempts by a factor of 10? Again, it might socialize... Based on a small sample size, right? It might socialize people a lot more than they would have been, and... Having some sort of escape from your troubles and your life, if you're very unsatisfied with it, um, especially in, a, in an era of not having video games and things like that, I can see it, yeah, probably helped a lot of people. I, I can certainly say over the last year, when there hasn't been a whole lot to do otherwise, uh, Dungeons and & Dragons and Vampire the Requiem and... Worlds in Peril. Worlds in Peril, which is a great indie superhero RPG. Uh, those have really uh, helped keep my head in the game. Gave us something to look forward to, because that was something that we could go outside, sit six feet apart, roll some dice, and um, and play a game, and tr- and just not think about our actual reality for a while. And unlike a lot of escapism, like things, this is something you're doing with other people, actually physically looking at them, having a conversation. Uh, it it satisfies a lot of what humans feel happy when they do, um, with and takes away a lot of the social anxiety that comes around, you know, talking to someone. It like it allows you to. Su- suppress the parts of you that might feel uncomfortable doing that Um, because you're playing a character they don't have to be nervous to talk to someone exactly uh i don't there are a number of schools and programs that are encouraging kids who uh, are having a difficult time or dealing with trauma or dealing with uh social anxiety in some way to play D D now to get themselves out of that mold um it's the the theoretical disease has become the cure. Yeah, uh, celebrity movie hunk Joe Manganello has a charity where he just connects uh, like cancer kids with dungeon masters because D and D is a wonderful escape. I do- have donated to that charity. Oh, he's still not going to play. He's still not inviting you over to his cool house. It's just a question of how much I donate, Sean. <laughs> He's working up to it, Sean. You could be at that table with the big show in no time. They have a giant red dragon skull behind their game table. I gotta get there. I know. I've seen that mini doc on YouTube. Listeners, kickstart me. Get me in there. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to start a GoFundMe to get Nick into Joe Manganiello's D&D dungeon. I think I can get Vin Diesel in there. (laughs) That's the dream. Um, Hey, it is because he's famously, Vin Diesel's famously an avid player. He's the only person I know who is. And famously a team player, right? (laughs) Yes, ask The Rock. He's got a, he wrote, the the film The Last Witch Hunter is based on his D&D character. The, the gall, the unmitigated bravado to be like, you know, I'm going to make a movie based on my D&D character. It's amazing. He's Mr. Gall and bravado. What was that uh, Valiant? 
comics movie he was in during the pandemic? Uh, uh, Bloodshot. When Bloodshot came out, Vin Diesel was tweeting, so proud to announce the launch of the Valiant Comics universe. <laughs> yeah, we're going to see Ninjak any day. <laughs> Here comes doll. Archer and Armstrong, 2022. <laughs> um... I think that's going to do it for us, listeners. I, all I have to say is that I love D&D. I love playing it with you, Nick, and with you, Carrie, and with our friend Sarah most frequently. And um, it makes me very happy. Not Satan at all. Not yeah, Satan-y not, at all. Not Satan-y at all. Um, we have just a fun time. I've I've considered whether it would be a fun like show, like whether recording our D and D would would uh, be anything. Listeners, this is just how I'm going to seduce you all down the path to Satan, <laughs> Lucifer's the left hand path. <laughs> Lucifer's icy claw is gripping against your heart right now. Oh no! I didn't realize I was doing his work. <laughs> Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hi, Tara. Hi, Nick. I've got a question for you. A hypothetical question. Here for it. If you and I were to make a podcast... Why would we make a podcast? Why does anyone make a podcast? Massive egos. Anyway. If you and I were to make a podcast... Right, so if we were to make a podcast where we ask each other hypothetical questions... <laughs> Wait, so not only is this a podcast about listening to an old married couple argue, it's explicitly about nonsense? That's right. Okay, I'm with you so far. So what would we call this hypothetical podcast? Well, I think we'd call it Unloaded Questions, a podcast about lighthearted musing and loving debate. And excellent accent work. With your co-hosts, Nick and Tara. Now, babe, why would anyone listen to a podcast like this? Well, maybe after a year locked inside their own houses, people want a break from heavy news or serial killers and just want to wonder how many Sasquatch eye it would take to successfully capture Nessie. I think it's Sasquatches. It's a Latin root. I'm pretty sure it's Sasquatch eye. Unloaded Questions, with your hosts, Nick and Tara, dropping Wednesday at a podcatcher near you. Hey, Tara, what's a group of Sasquatch Eye called? A Foot Clan. Oh, Nick, people are going to have to hear this ad more than once. Foot Clan. Ugh. It's me and my boo. Time for us to ask a real George Norrie-esque question. Do ghosts get B.O.? What? <laughs> this isn't the title of a Bailey School Kids book, but rather a real question that was answered by the owners of the White Hart Pub in Corsley, Wiltshire, England. Owner Adele Gill told Somerset Live that, quote, We call him Henry and we believe him to be a previous landlord of the pub. I know it sounds bonkers, but you can smell him. It's like a musty B.O. smell. 
We smell that, and then something happens. It's certainly not that we don't clean the onions out the trash can. <laughs> well, July 2nd must have been a smelly evening at the White Hart because CCTV inside the pub appeared to capture the bar measure moving by itself. Bar measure? Like a jigger? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Gill continued, quote, a couple of times I've had regulars walk out looking very spooked, and it's only a week or so later they admit they saw something behind the bar. We've seen it too. It's hard to describe. It's like a fast-moving vapor trail. We've got it on CCTV too. The waiters have felt hands touching them too and been scratched by something. And if you can't find something on the BBC Three, <laughs> it's often on CCTV too. <laughs> they seem to get picked on about. Another time, a set of dishes that are usually on top of the fridge had been lined out neatly in a perfect row overnight. Gill also confessed she thinks Henry's spirit may be perturbed that they recently redecorated without his permission. Perhaps he's steaming with anger, and that activates his, well, spooky B.O. So he's like sweating mad. <laughs> Maybe. You can find the CCTV footage on the White Heart Coarsely YouTube channel. Listeners of our sister podcast, Unloaded Questions, might wonder whether this is Henry the Troll. And you can listen to Unloaded Questions wherever you get your podcasts, of course. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will be forever grateful. We absolutely will. And uh, you should also make sure to check out our sister podcast, this being a network now, y'all. That would be called Unloaded Questions, and it's hosted by our very own Nick Salisi. Yeah, I mean... And if his you... wife, Tara. It's true. She's not a player of Dungeons & Dragons, which is why she's not in attendance. Um, yeah, we, if, if we could have found a way to uh, shoehorn Tara in here, uh, we would have <laughs> been happy to have her, but I think Tara would have been... Mostly bored by this conversation? <laughs> As she is most of the time when we're playing D&D. &D. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, listeners, if you enjoyed me distracting Sean for the last hour and a half, uh, I would be happy to have you over at Unloaded Questions, where me and Tara answer hypothetical questions. Uh, give us a listen. It's, it's much less intense than this show. It is the kind of um, silly, fun nonsense that I like to listen to in my podcasts. So uh, it's a weekly listen for me, and it would be whether it was on our network or not. Yep, so give them a listen, subscribe, and don't forget to write and review. And you can uh, you could like Unloaded Questions on Facebook, follow them on Twitter at UnloadedQ, and on Instagram at Unloaded Questions. And all your Longboy Media stuff is at longboymedia.com. That's L-O-N-G-B-O-I media.com. And everywhere else at Longboy Media. That's, again, Longboy with an I at the end because we are dumb at branding. Special thanks to our beloved top-tier patrons, Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, and our newest patron, not the comedian Brian Regan, this is Ryan Regan. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. We love you very much.
See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe, music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. This has been a production of Long Boy Media. I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home.